Well, I would like to begin this morning by asking you to consider a couple questions. I'm not going to hear responses from you right now, but I want to ask you to think about these questions. What, what do you rely on? What do you rely on? And I mean in an ultimate sense. When you're really desperate, what do you rely on? What do you depend on? What do you look to when the going gets tough? Now, it might not be, it might not involve an audible voice, but what is, what is the thing that you sort of cry out to when you really are in trouble? And similarly, what's the thing that you delight in? And I mean in an ultimate sense. Some of you delight in the Seahawks, especially when they win. But I mean in an ultimate sense. You really, you delight in this. You celebrate this. You, you speak highly of, of this or of these things. What do you rely on and what do you delight in? These two movements of our, of our heart, of our soul, this idea of relying on something, depending on something, and then this other idea of really delighting in something, these things are our second nature to us. It's maybe even hard to answer those questions because we rely and, and depend and we delight. With, like with such a second nature, it's so automatic that to even assess the objects of our reliance and our delight is a little bit difficult. And the reason that these things are so automatic is because that's exactly what we were created to do. We were created to say, I depend. And we were created to say, I delight. That's what we were created to do. We were created for a trusting, dependent, intimate, loving relationship with God. We were created to rely on him, to cry out to him, to pray to him, and we were created to delight in him, to speak highly of him and to praise him. This is exactly the nature of the relationship that God created us for. And, and these things, this, this reliance and this dependence and this delight, that's what we call worship. That's what we call worship. It involves saying, I need you, or I praise you. Just those simple sentences, I need you, I praise you. That's what we were created to do. And so therefore, we're kind of always doing it. So this morning, we're gonna consider what we depend on, in a sense, what we pray to, and we're gonna consider what we delight in, or what we praise. We're in a series called MC Foundations, where we are kind of rediscovering or revisiting what we believe to be the real fundamental building blocks for a community of people who believe in Jesus, who want to live out the gospel in all the stuff of life. We're saying, okay, so what, what are the basics of, of living in that way and being that kind of a community? And so we started with the gospel, and we talked about the individual gospel, by grace, you're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven. You're going to go to heaven when you die. We also talked about the corporate gospel, that we are 
part of the kingdom of God and that he has saved a people for himself and that he wants to show the world what he's like as a whole people live under the rule and reign of King Jesus. We're sort of grabbing the future, we're grabbing eternity and we're pulling it into the present and giving little snapshots of what it looks like. We talked about the individual and corporate gospel and then we talked about you know, the main like, outcome of the gospel that we are united with Jesus Christ. We are one with Jesus Christ. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are united. You are one with Jesus Christ, which means you're united to God. You're united to the Father and his grace. Your relationship with God is totally defined by grace, and it's a loving, intimate, close relationship. We're united with Jesus' church, which means we're his body, and we're his bride, and we're the temple. We talked about all those pictures and it also means we're united to Jesus' mission. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And so we're out, sent as a people of God with the presence of God to make the glory of God known in all the world. That is who we are. We're united with Jesus by God's grace. But now we've shifted gears in our series to talk about what we call abiding practices. These abiding practices help us answer the question, okay, so if this is who I am, I'm united with Jesus Christ, united to the Father and His grace, united to the church, united to Jesus' mission, how do I actually live that out? In John chapter 15, Jesus said, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So what does it actually look like to abide in Jesus? It's a bit of a, a foreign sort of mystical, abstract concept. We're trying to bring it down and, and put, root it in the concrete, root it in reality, so you can say, oh, okay, this is how I begin to abide in Jesus, both individually and how we begin to abide in Jesus corporately. So we have these abiding practices. We talked about uh, gather, we've talked about read the scriptures, talk to, and today we'll talk about pray and praise, and then we got a few more, three more that we're gonna cover in the next three weeks. But today we're talking about pray and praise. I'd like you to turn to your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 25. We've got a Bible, grab that. There's a few on the communion tables around if you'd like a physical copy of the scriptures in front of you. Of course, you can use your phone too. And if you don't have either one of those, it'll be on the screen. I'm gonna read Psalm chapter 25, and this will be the basis for what we're gonna talk about this morning. Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make known to me your ways, O oh Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? 
Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. His eyes are ever, my eyes are ever toward the Lord for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me for I'm lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all of my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O oh God, out of all his troubles. Now in all the book of Psalms, there's kind of three, three main themes I think that emerge and this Psalm shows us all three of these themes. I'm not gonna teach on the Psalms today, though I would love to do that in the future. It's probably my favorite book. But in this Psalm, we see a couple main themes and all of them are gonna emerge today. Number one, we suffer, we suffer. Can I get a witness on suffering today? Got any fellow sufferers in the room today? Number two, we pray. We cry out. And then number three, we praise. I mean, really, could almost like just stop there and just sort of go work that out. Because in a nutshell, it's like, well, that's the Christian life. We suffer and we pray and we praise. But we'll unpack it for a few minutes for you. We'll keep going. We're gonna talk first about prayer. In verses 16 through 21 of Psalm 25, we hear David crying out. That phrase is not used explicitly in this psalm, but it is throughout the psalms. And it, there is a sense, that's why I kind of upped the volume a little bit when I was reading, because there is a very real sense of a physical, literal, vocal cry to God throughout the psalms. Turn to me, God, and be gracious to me. I'm lonely. I'm afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction. Forgive my sins. Guard my soul. Deliver me. You hear all these requests that he's not afraid to pour out to God. This week, as I was preparing, I was reminded of a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 18, the story of the persistent widow. And Luke chapter 18 says that Jesus told this story to make the point that we should always pray and never give up. And the story that Jesus told is of an unrighteous judge. The story says that he neither feared God nor respected people. Not exactly the guy you hope to be sitting on the bench if you have to face a judge. Neither feared God nor respected people. And there's a widow in town who needs justice. And she comes to him over and over and over and over again. And eventually, this unrighteous judge says to himself, um, I know that I don't fear God or respect people. At least he's self-aware. I know that I don't fear God or respect people, but I'm kind of getting tired of this widow coming to me. I'm just gonna give her what she wants. And then Jesus says, look, if that's how it works on planet Earth, how much more? Will your father in heaven bring justice to you quickly if you persist in prayer? About two months ago, Jen and I were in a pretty tough spot. 
uh, with a number of different issues in our life, but one in particular was that we were wanting to get our boys into Stewart Middle School. They just redrew the district lines last year. We were in Stewart before, and then they drew the lines, and now we're in Giadroni. And for a whole bunch of reasons, we wanted them at Stewart. And we had a trip to England that we were going to leave for on the Monday after school started. So school started on Wednesday, so we're praying and praying and asking people and being politely persistent with the humans that had, you know, everything to do with making this decision. But God also uh, gave me faith one day on a walk. I was walking in McKinley Park on the east side, one of my favorite places to walk and pray with Jesus. And I was really hurting for my wife in particular because the situation was really, really difficult for her. It was difficult for me too. And I'm walking through the woods and there's nobody around and I stop and I literally just like cry out to God like, you've got to come through. You've got to show up. Like you've got to have mercy here. It's like, I'm, I'm crying, uncle. It's just, it's too much. Can you please come through? And I, and I felt the spirit of God minister to me and say, you know what? Be the persistent widow with me. Be the persistent widow. I will come through. And I walked out of the woods with a new sense of peace like, you know what? God's going to come through. He's going to show up. I don't know when, but I'm going to keep banging on that door and saying, Father, please come through. And he did. Now, it was not in the timing that we hoped for. We had to get on an airplane to England with one son at Stewart and one son at Giudroni. Not great. Not great. But as soon as we hit the ground at SeaTac the following week, first call we got was from the school. Your son can come over to Stewart. God came through. He came through. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, he said, keep on, well, actually, he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, like look at an earthly dad, look at the way he re relates to his children, just get a clue. Like your dad is, your heavenly dad is way better than that. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, the, the Greek behind this, ask, seek, knock, it actually means like keep on asking. It's not one time. Well, I asked and I didn't. It's keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And who are you talking to? You're talking to your father. In the Sermon on the Mount where this passage is found, Jesus mentions the father by name 16 times. He's the star of the Sermon on the Mount. It's all about relationship with the father. And here where Jesus teaches on prayer, he says, you've got to keep coming to the Father. But if you go back to the question I asked you at the beginning, who do you trust in? Who do you rely on? Who do you depend on? It's often not the Father, is it? I mean, that's true for me at least. Maybe I could get another witness on that one. It's often not the Father. I'm not saying always. I know that there's, there's prayerful people in this room and we do trust the Father in some ways, but man, there's a lot of other stuff that happens through my day, through my week, and in my life, and I'm not asking, seeking, or knocking. What's interesting about this is 
Prayer is simply a way of saying, Father, I need you. If you want a one-sentence prayer, write that down. Father, I need you. Father, I need you. What's interesting is that is the fundamental call of the gospel. The gospel comes to you and it says, you can't save yourself. You were made for a relationship with the Father, but you trusted in other things, relied on other things, depend on other things. The relationship was separated and now you need the Father to save you. That's your only option. And what's amazing is there's a whole bunch of you in this room who have said yes to that. You say, yes, I do trust the Father to save me. I've already said, Father, I need you. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you haven't said that, what an invitation from the Holy Spirit right now to just like, let me break it down for you. Jesus is saying, you get to call on the Father and say, Father, I need you. Please save me through your son. And that's how you get reconciled with God. That's the gospel. What's interesting is all of us who believe the gospel, we said, yeah, Father, I need you. I'll step out on that limb. But then we roll through life in a completely different mode. It's like God's big enough to save me, but he's not big enough to get my son into the middle school that I want or give me peace if he doesn't. He's not big enough for that. I gotta worry and stress and make phone calls and angle and try to do everything I can. Prayer is simply a conversation between you and your dad. And see, here's the the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ has reconciled you to God, so now you are an adopted child of God. So if you wanna know what a healthy prayer life looks like, read the story about Jesus and see how he related with the Father. Sometimes he went alone for a while, hang out with him all by himself, but always he's just kind of doing his thing, but talking with the Father. And I was thinking, you know, we really believe that because we're united with Christ, we're united to, to God and his grace and the Father's love, right? And so it's sort of like the Father is with me all day long in everything that I do, and prayer is simply an invitation to just talk to him about what's going on in front of me, but I basically just leave him out of the conversation. So imagine if if a human friend of yours followed you around all day long and, and saw all that was going on in your life, and you never included them in the conversation. You just like were silent towards them all day. That would be so awkward. That would be so awkward. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Because Jesus reconciled you to the Father, you just get to talk to him like a child. A couple practical things real quick, and then we're going to move on. Prayer can be unstructured, and it can also be structured. I want to first talk about unstructured real quick. It can be prayer walks, Okay. If you're antsy, if you have a hard time sitting still, if like being quiet for five minutes is like nails on the chalkboard, that's fine. Go outside and walk and move. But remember, you're walking and talking with Jesus. You're walking and talking with the Father. Go to a park, go to a quiet place, or walk around your neighborhood. Just go, hey, hey God, man, this is going on. And you know, and if you're concerned about what your neighbors think, that they might call the cops, if you're talking to yourself, like just talk in your head if you have to, okay? But like McKinley Park, I'm a little reluctant to give away my secret because that place is amazing and no one ever goes there. But I'll, you can go ahead and use it at your leisure as long as I'm not there. But you can, you can go over there and scream and no one's going to hear you. And it's right in Tacoma, okay? Cry out to the Lord. 
So walk and talk with Jesus. You go on prayer drives. Get in your car and just drive around and just talk to God. It can be that normal. It doesn't have to be this super holy, I live in a monastery kind of thing, okay? Sometimes physical stuff's important. I wanna give you this too. Sometimes it helps to get on your face. And I mean like prostrate on the floor, lay on your face and, and physically like cry out to God. Sometimes that's helpful. Okay, so that's some unstructured stuff. Real quick structured thing. This is a grace God gave me when I was 16 years old. I pulled out, a th- when I started getting serious about reading the Bible and praying on a regular basis, I pulled out a three by five card. I wrote the days of the week down the left side of the three by five card. And then I put a dash beside each day. And then I wrote one thing that I would pray about each day. And that was my bookmark in my Bible. I would read a chapter a day. And if it was Sunday night, I prayed for my church on Sunday. I tried to even make it sort of connected to my week. So if I lost the card, I'd still be able to remember what I was gonna pray about that day. So Sunday was my church family. So I pray for our elders and pray for our church on Sunday. And then Monday was whatever it was. I honestly don't remember, but I have my three by five card. That's a really simple way if you wanna get structured about prayer. Because if you're just walking around and driving around, you're probably gonna keep praying about the same stuff. And it's sometimes helpful to get pulled out of your world a little bit. Okay, I wanna mention a couple resources and then we're gonna hear from my friend, Lisa Johnson on another aspect of prayer. I would be remiss if I did not mention the amazing resources of the scriptures for prayer. Psalms, of course, tons of great prayers in the Psalms. Pray the Psalms if you need some, some help articulating your thoughts and feelings and emotions to God. Ephesians chapter one, Ephesians chapter three, Colossians one are great prayers of Paul. They're great prayers of Paul, especially if you wanna pray for other believers. Man, you could, you could pray those things until Jesus comes back and they will never get old, they're that good. Okay, a couple other books. Um, Andrew Murray with Christ in School of Prayer, my favorite book on prayer, it's amazing. Paul Miller, A Praying Life is also very good. And then Jim Symbol of Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. It's basically the story of the Brooklyn Tabernacle and that whole church, but, but there's so much prayer in there as well. Okay, I've asked my friend Lisa Johnson to come up. She's gonna talk to us a little bit about another aspect of prayer, silence and solitude and meditation. And this is something I've learned a lot about in the last 18 months, but I've had some conversations with Lisa and she, she's really great in this area, has learned a ton. She taught on the women's retreat on this topic and we had some conversations about it back then. And so the spirit brought her to mind for today and I thought that I would ask Lisa to come and share with us, yep. Good morning. So when Abe first asked me to share and mentioned that the abiding practice was going to be on prayer and praise, uh, I confess, I thought, oops, we've asked the wrong girl, Abe. (laughs) I am not the model of a praying person, a praying wife, a praying mom, whatever the latest praying book is. Okay, I'm not the poster child. (laughs) But when he mentioned meditation specifically, I felt relieved and um, excited to share with you about my experience with meditation, which has come to me as something new and something different, something that I had not tried before and didn't know much about. Um, And the surprise for me has been 
how good of a fit it seems to be for my makeup, my personality, just the way God has created me to connect with him. And I think that it would serve us all well to really broaden the picture of what it means to be someone who abides in prayer and then to share those stories with each other. We need to hear those stories. So this broadening occurred for me when I took a class last year called Soul Tending through the Sela Center. This class focused on nurturing contemplative experiences with Jesus, such as meditation. The class focused on tending to and nurturing your soul. Um, it, it was the most unique class I've ever been a part of. I'm so glad that I did it. Um, but it created this quiet space um, to really tune in and to um, lift up your soul to God. Like David says in Psalm 25 that Abe mentioned, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And then in Psalm 23, David says, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. One kind of meditation that um, has proved to be very powerful for me is called Lectio Divina. That's a Latin phrase that means sacred writing, and it is simply selecting a passage of scripture and reading it repeatedly and slowly. You look for words or phrases that um, stick out to you. I like to close my eyes and just read each sentence very slowly so that each word has an opportunity to really settle in to my body and my soul. Um, I have a friend who says of Lectio that it feels like scripture is moving from her head to her heart. I think the surprise for me with Lectio is, um, you know, it may have been a passage that I've read a hundred times, um, but with this meditative style of um, going through scripture, it, I just see things in a new light. And um, the meaning and the impact that it's had on me um, has been profound. Um, in addition to Lectio Divina, I'll mention two other kinds of meditation that I am learning to practice. This is practice here. The first one is called Centering Prayer. Centering Prayer is where you sit in reflective silence anticipatory but with no agenda it can be hard I recommend just starting with a few minutes and working up from there um, but I find that there is a vulnerability with this kind of meditation that's pretty raw um, can be difficult but there's great opportunity for um, intimacy with God with this kind of meditating. Um, some have said that this is like gazing at God while he's gazing at you. Sometimes I, repre I repeat a phrase like, I belong to you, so that there's this sacred space for experiencing God's love for you. And I think that's been the gift for me that's come out of centering prayer, is that encountering God's love 
The next one is called imaginative prayer. Imaginative prayer is where you select a story from the Gospels where Jesus is relating to people, interacting with people, and you use your imagination to place yourself into the scene, heightening your awareness by using your senses to really see yourself within the story, um, see it play out kind of like a movie. Um, and I think this kind of imaginative contemplation with it, you, you have the opportunity to really see Jesus, engage with others, and learn about him, but then also for him to turn to you and to find yourself within the story and to see what he has to offer you. Um, Saint Ignatius said that he believed that, our imagine, that God can meet us in our imaginations as much as in our thoughts. Um, so overall, I would say the best gift has simply been a new way to connect with God. And I, it's a total learning process. I um, certainly do not do this every day. Um, but I will tell you the biggest shock for me has been how even five minutes can make such a difference. Um, so if this feels like something that connects with you, I would say give it a try, but be gracious with yourself. Um, be patient. It's not amazing every time. I'm sharing with you kind of the meat of the experiences I've had, right? But it's like any other practice in life. There's ebb and flow. Um, but there is great opportunity for intimacy, and I will add benefits for your body and brain. Um, I probably could have talked the whole time on this uh, because I'm really into this subject, but, um, you know, physical benefits of meditation, its calming effect, the neurological supercharge that your brain receives when you meditate X amount of minutes per day, um, I'm into it, so I'll save that for another conversation, but we can talk. Um, and then I just wanted to mention an app that I've been using. So if this feels a little intimidating and you'd like some help, Pray As You Go is an app that I use that has a lot of different contemplative practices that you can go and select. This morning, I was listening to one um, on Mary and Mar Martha that was an imaginative prayer. Um, so check that out. And this is the end of my talk, but I would like to do an experimental one-minute meditation with you um, as I read just a few selections from Psalm 23. Now, I hear in MC Foundations, you guys did this with Psalm 23, so I am sensing that the Spirit is really loving this image of the shepherd as him a shepherd, as the Father a shepherd. And so if you are, feel comfortable participating, please close your eyes now and become aware of your body, your mind, your heart. Relax. Perhaps take a deep breath and open yourself to these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores 
my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You can go ahead and open your eyes and try to focus on a word or phrase that really stood out from, for you. And I would encourage you to go home and try this same passage again or take the whole of Psalm 23 and um, read it repeatedly and see what the Spirit has to offer you in that moment of quiet, meditative silence um, with these words that he's left behind for us. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much, Lisa. Thank you. So thankful for so many gifts in our body uh, that we get to be blessed by. So thank you, Lisa. And a few of those practices have been pretty helpful for, for Jen and I over the last 18 months. We've both been learning how to practice those things. And um, yeah, as we were sitting there and listening and meditating, I realized that I maybe kind of left out a little piece of the story about prayer and the middle school thing. And I want to make sure I honor my wife by saying that while I was definitely concerned about where she was at, I was very impacted as well. And after sharing that story of the persistent widow, God brought us both a great deal of peace. And we were able to leave and go to England knowing God had it. He was in control. We were trusting him with whatever the outcome was. And I was so thankful to God for his grace to both of us and for the faith that I saw in my wife. So just wanted to add that. But thank you, Lisa. Okay, we're going to shift gears and talk about praise for a few minutes. As I mentioned at the top, we were made to find our ultimate delight in God. We were made to find our ultimate delight in God. The Hebrew word for praise means to shine means to shine. If you go to a Broadway show or musical theater, when the soloist is out in the front of the stage and it's their turn to perform their solo, what happens? The spotlight is on them. And I think the idea with praise is it's a very intentional way of us shining the spotlight on God and saying sort of like, look at him, <laughs> look at him. Do you see this about him? That's the idea with praise. Our lives, our mouths are designed to shine on Yahweh, the Hebrew word for, for God, which is translated as Lord in your, in your Bibles in the Old Testament. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're designed to shine on Yahweh as the one true God. Now, I believe that praise ought to come naturally to us because it's what we were created to do. The Bible looks at creation and says, because God made you, you should praise him. Psalm 148 goes so far as to say, hey, moon, stars, wind, mountains, hills, fruit trees, cedars, beasts, 
livestock, creeping things, flying birds. Praise the Lord. I tell our kids, our dog is in Psalm 148. He's a beast. And he was made to praise the Lord. That's what he was made to do, to praise the Lord. Jesus said, if these kids don't praise me, the very rocks are going to cry out. And the rationale of Psalm 148, why all these things are called to praise the Lord, is why? Because God spoke and you were created. So that's the assumption of Scripture, is the thing that's created, like praise ought to just spill out of it. But that doesn't happen for us all the time, does it? It doesn't happen for us all the time, though the character and nature of God demands that we would praise him. When we see something amazing or beautiful, it's, it's like instinctual that we praise it. You see the mountain, you've seen it 10,000 times if you've lived here for a while, and yet still you go, that's amazing. I mean, it just spills out of you. You can't stop yourself. The very character and nature of God demands that we would praise God. Two more things about praise. What, number two, praise completes our joy. This is from C.S. Lewis in his book on the Psalms. He says, we praise what we delight in. We praise what we delight in. Think over your last couple days, things that you praised or you spoke highly of. Maybe it was a great meal that you had, or maybe it's a friend, or maybe some time you had with a friend. I had a phone call with a buddy this week I hadn't talked to in a while, old college friend, and we both got off the phone and texted each other like, that was amazing, that was a great phone call. We praise that which we delight in. C.S. Lewis says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It completes the enjoyment. So when you have a great meal and it's a shared experience, if nobody says anything about it, you experience less joy. My wife likes to tease me about this sometimes because I can be a bit effusive sometimes about certain things. Like, man, this meal's amazing. And I might say it more than once. And she kind of teases me about that. I say, hey, I'm completing the joy. <laughs> we're, we're all enjoying it more because we're talking about how great it is. Though I guess if I do it too much, maybe I'm hindering my wife's joy. <laughs> That's why David said in Psalm 27, 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after. One thing that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He wants to go praise God because in the praising of God, it completes his enjoyment of God. See, praising God is the way we enjoy God. Or it's at least a way that we enjoy God. Praising God is one of the key ways we relate to God. We get to know God and we experience the presence of God. Last thing about praise. Praise pulls our gaze upward. We heard in Psalm 25, mixed in with all the crying out, he says he's lonely. He says he's afflicted. The troubles of his heart are enlarged. He's in distress. He's afflicted. He has enemies. He needs refuge. He needs deliverance. He is suffering. And the question I want you to ask yourself this morning is this. Do I put the lens of my circumstances on and then interpret my view of God through the lens of my circumstances? Or 
Do I take my circumstance glasses off, put my praise glasses on, my character and nature of God glasses, and then interpret my circumstances through those? Which glasses do you have on? Do you have your circumstance glasses on through which you see God? Or do you have your God glasses on through which you see your circumstances? The Psalms always land on God glasses. Always. Without minimizing circumstances or denying that they're hard. So it's not Pollyanna. It's not, oh, God is good all the time. High five. I'm all good. It's like, no, no, no. Life is hard, but God is good. That's the message of the Psalms. I want to give us a moment here to practice praising. A simple sentence prayer for praise is, I praise you, God, because you are fill in the blank. And there's all kinds of wonderful attributes of God and all kinds of theologians have done all sorts of work on that. There's a number of examples here in Psalm 25. So I'm just going to give us a minute here for you to speak out, speak out the praises of God. I praise you because you are. Go ahead as the Spirit leads you. I praise you, God, because you are. We praise you with Exodus 34, 6, which says, The Lord, the Lord, a God, a merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We praise you, God. We praise you, Yahweh, that that is who you are. Again, practically, this is something you can do anytime, anywhere. While you're walking around, while you're driving, you can do it out loud, you can do it in relationship, you can do it in the quietness of your own home, in your own heart. But the, the scope of scripture, and particularly the Psalms, make it clear that this is something that should spill out of us. If we know Jesus, it ought to spill out of us. And particularly when you're suffering, I want to encourage you, set your mind on praise. It's not going to make the problems go away. It's not going to change your circumstances, but it will change your perspective on your circumstances. Set your heart on praise. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. It's like you got to give yourself a pep talk. Come on, soul. I know you don't want to go over here to praise, but that's where we're going because we want to declare what's true of God all the time. And now with that in mind, let's come back to the circumstances. But man, we delight in so many other things, don't we? We delight in so many other things. We praise what we delight in and praise is about love. It'd be confusing to a person if you said you love them, but you never praise them. I think that'd be confusing to a person and again, I know we're all at different places in terms of praise, but I want to call us and urge us to be a people who let the praises of God fall readily off of our lips. See, the gospel gives us the most beautiful, delightful thing in the universe. Our hearts are going in different directions. We're praising other stuff. Sometimes we praise God, but the gospel gives us the most beautiful, delightful thing for which praise should, should pour out of us 
And that's redemption, reconciliation, justification, God himself giving his life so you could be restored to right relationship with him. That's the most beautiful thing in the universe. So if you wanna foster a heart of praise, study the gospel. Hebrews 13, 15, very end of the book of Hebrews. The whole book of Hebrews is about how Jesus is better than angels, better than Moses, better than the Old Testament priesthood, better than the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. He's a better sacrifice, all this stuff that says you can put your faith in Jesus and be made right with God. And then the, the author concludes it this way, there, through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So there's no more sacrifice you need to offer to make yourself right with God, but since you've been made right with God, here's a sacrifice you can offer, praise. In response to the gospel, praise is one way we say, I love you to God. And it requires an act of faith. To in the middle of hard times say, you know what, God, I'm gonna fix my eyes upon you. As we get ready to go to the communion table, I was praying this week, was praying, man, Father, please help me see how the gospel relates to these things. I don't want this to be come across as legalistic or just another duty for us to do. Like, man, you also be praying more and you also be praising more, right? What does the gospel have to say about this? And the Holy Spirit reminded me of the life of Jesus, a person who, if you wanted an example of someone who trusted God and relied on God and depended on God and cried out to God consistently, you would see Jesus Christ. He never relied or depended on anything else in an ultimate way because that would be sin and Jesus lived his life without sin. And Jesus was always about the praise and the glory of the Father. That was his focus. That's what he was about. But not only is he an example for us, He's the one who always depended on God, always delighted in God, and yet he's the one who goes to the cross. He's the one who goes to the cross and takes all of our sin and rejection of God, puts it on himself, and then not only forgives us and makes us one with, like, right relationship with God, but Jesus actually comes in you to live inside of you. So if you want to walk out of here this morning and you have the Spirit of God in you, My counsel to you, my encouragement to you is rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Like get with the Holy Spirit and say, hey, I know down deep there's a a heart for prayer. And I know down deep there's a heart that wants to walk with God all through the day and talk with him. I know down deep there's a heart of praise that wants to just say, God, you're holy. Your loving kindness never fails. You're kind. You're generous. You're good. That's in you. So let the Spirit of God bring that out of you so it's not a new weight you have to live under. So here's the crazy thing about these abiding practices. Through these practices, it helps us like grow in our abiding in Jesus, but we can't do the practices without abiding in Jesus. So they're abiding practices in in two senses. We need abiding to do them, and through the doing of them, they foster abiding. So this morning, we're gonna take communion in groups. We do that on the first Sunday of the month. Uh, if you are new and or you need someone to, you need a group to get with, Randy will be up here in the front. He's gonna lead communion with whoever needs a group to go with, okay? If you're not yet a believer in Jesus, 
The communion table is a time where we remember the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where we declare through taking the bread, which is a reminder of the body of Jesus, and dipping it in the wine, which is a reminder of the blood of Jesus, that we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. So if you're not yet a believer, you can join a group and just you know, stand, or you can hang out in your seat. There's going to be some music going. While you're in your groups, I want to ask us to do one thing right after you take communion, okay? So get, get in your groups. If it's your missional community, if it's friends that you came with, family members, whoever, get in groups, grab the elements, take communion, and then please spend a few minutes in either prayer or praise, okay? We're running short on time. We don't have a lot of time for that, but I want us to take a little bit of time in groups to speak out some praises of God or some prayer, and then we'll come back together and sing one more song. So let's stand, please. We're gonna do one song before we go to the tables, a song based on Isaiah 53, by his wounds we are healed. So use this song to prepare your heart for the communion table. And and keep in mind when you're in your groups, this is a real declaration, not just of, of the individual gospel, but of the corporate gospel. We're family. We're part of God's family together. So Jesus, we thank you that you always trusted the Father and you always praised the Father. But I'm glad that you didn't come and just give us an example to follow because we would be crushed under the weight of that. You actually became our substitute and you forgive the moments when we don't pray and we don't praise and then you put yourself in us to give us a new heart and a new mind and a new identity as worshipers. So Holy Spirit, awaken that new desire that you've placed in many of us. And if there's anyone here who the delight of their heart and the the dependence of their heart has consistently gone away from the one true God for whom they've been created, Jesus, today would you lead them to faith in you to say, I need forgiveness for my sin. I wanna be right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Would you do that in this moment? In Jesus' name, amen.